Okay, Cornell, hello. Thank you so much for coming out tonight, and thank you to the Industrial Labor Relations School for hosting us tonight. Cheers, everybody. I would like to thank the uh, School of Industrial Labor Relations, like I said, for uh, allowing us to come here, uh, silence campus conservative voices, and uh, also adjudicate uh, our own internal labor, our own internal labor disputes on the podcast itself, such as the question of how many times is Virgil allowed to go to the bathroom whenever I want. <laughs> I would say... I've, my opening position in this negotiation is that we treat you like a uh, fulfill someone working at an Amazon fulfillment center. You get thirty seconds to do your business. That's not enough time. That's not you. You have to. There's a lot of things you do in there. You've got to, you, you know, look at yourself in the mirror, wash your hands if you feel like it. Uh, sometimes I just want to be alone. ILR school, your work is cut out for you. We'll be negotiating all night. Uh, in case you don't know already, this uh, event here at Cornell marks the triumphant return of Mr. Virgil Texas, like Wiley Odysseus, home again to Ithaca, only to find all of you suitors here waiting to defile his beloved alma mater. He will string a bow and shoot an arrow through all of you, provided you line up precisely in like sort of in a straight line. I think we should, I think we should be allowed to uh, make that happen. Uh, thank you guys all for coming out tonight. Um, question, though. Uh, did anyone, I know you're here to see us tonight, but did anyone here uh, see Ross Douthat last night? Crickets. Oh, nobody. <laughs> did you know he was here? Because it did not seem well publicized, this event. I, like I said, I think he was the youngest person in that room. You had a, a, a world-famous New York Times columnist speak at your university last night, and none of you showed up? I'm a little worried about their commitment to bourgeois values of thrift and diligence. <laughs> I mean, we were here last night, and um, we would have gone, except um, we didn't want to. Yes. We, we thought that shit would be boring and we uh, lame as fuck. We did not want to. So, uh, so I, I guess you didn't know this. Boss Ross visited the Hill last night to give a speech on meritocracy. Uh, it's from the from the event. Uh, it says here, our contemporary power structure claims to be based on merit and aims for diversity, but it has lost the sense of duty and responsibility that traditional aristocracy represented, says author and political essayist Ross Douthat. In meritocracy and public good, who wins, who loses? Douthat explores what the costs of this structure are to the common good. Sponsored by the program on the freedom and free societies is the program on freedom and free societies. The talk will be held Thursday, April 25th at the Hollis E. Cornell Auditorium in Goldwyn Smith Hall. Woo! Uh, yeah, woo! Got some Goldwyn Smith fans out here? Great hall. As a strong conservative commenter on America Today, Ross Douthat offers lucid, penetrating thought and an irresistible narrative uh, ability. He is right. one of the most perceptive thinkers, one of the most perceptive writers, and I'm sure Douthat's talk will engage an audience across the political spectrum, but not across an age spectrum no, or, or, or any spectrum of people who no. attend. Certainly Cornell. not the color spectrum. I went on the Sun website today trying to see if, you know, there's a, a story about this event because he is, you know, he's a New York Times columnist, and that's the kind of thing Lamos would go see, irrespective of how you feel about the person. And as I remember from my time at Cornell, yeah, there's a lot of Lamos, definitely, no question. Uh, we, of course, 
there was, but there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing on the Sun website or anywhere on Twitter about this of, of allegedly transpiring event. We came in too late to actually catch Ross's speech, but of course we wanted to go to the after party. Uh, so I, so we looked up who actually brought Ross to Ithaca, and like Will said, it wasn't the Campus Republicans or the Want Club or whatever. It was the program on freedom and free societies, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a student club at all. It is some sort of association of middle-aged war dad professors. <laughs> uh, and if you go on the website, some of their recent guests include Victor Davis Hanson, a talk called Populist Revolt, Everything Old is New Again, and Jonah Goldberg, friend of the show, giving a talk called Suicide of the West. Uh, to prevent the suicide of the West, we, they should put up some of those nets. Am I right? That's, uh, yeah, that's some, uh, that's some pandering to the, love uh, the home crowd. Yeah. I love I. Yeah, it's really, that, that joke only works here in Shenzhen. <laughs> there are pictures on the website of the past events, and, and the one with a good crowd shot had, like, fewer than two dozen old men there for what is ostensibly an event for the whole community. <laughs> so we, uh, we missed Ross's presentation, uh, but we did, like, the, the, the silver lining to that cloud of missing uh, an opportunity to see Roth do that, expound on meritocracy in a lecture... Uh, we discovered the uh, the professor who uh, put this on a guy named uh, the director of the freedom the director of the freedom and free society. His name is uh, Professor Barry Strauss, and he is the Bryce and Edith M. Uh, Bomar Professor in Humanistic Studies Boner in the department. What's that? Boner professor. The Boner professor <laughs> in the department of. Has anyone has anyone taken a class yeah. with Barry Strauss? Barry there Strauss. we go. There we go. All right. Wow. Got a bunch. Of, uh, it's was it, an, was it an easy A? Because he seems like a, a dummy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we spent a long time last night out in the commons uh, just drinking and being like, where's Ross? Where's Ross? Expecting him to like walk by or something so we could harass him. Uh, and we just ended up going on this rabbit hole about, you know, uh, history and war dad professor Barry Strauss. The, 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 the best way I can describe Barry Strauss is like a, a real life version of Mark Corrigan from Peep Show. Yeah. And that he's like the kind of guy, yeah. <laughs> he's the kind of guy that uh, looks at history or, you know, uh, the, the great men and great leaders of history from, you know, Tutankhamun to Alexander the Great <laughs> to Xerxes as basically the guys who have set down the roadmap and rules for success in the 21st century. <laughs> so he's sort of like he has, he has one trick, and that is to compare events from uh, classical antiquity to modern business and political leaders? Of course, it makes perfect sense. A little from his CV, here are uh, some of his books. The Death of Kaiser, The Battle of Salamis, The Naval Encounter That Saved Greece and Western Civilization, The Spartacus War, and Masters of Command, Alexander Hannibal Kaiser and the Genius of Leadership. <laughs> his most recent book is Ten Kaisers, Roman Emperors, Wait, Augustus the Wait, you, wait, are you, wait, oh, wait a second, oh, stop. Are you, you're saying Kaiser? I thought you... Caesar. No, it's Kaiser. Yeah, but you were... <laughs> hold on a minute. You were saying Caesar okay. all yesterday. Okay. No, I you just pulled this okay. out of I was talking about the salad. <laughs> You're just showing off for the people. I used to actually study Latin at Cornell. I do like the idea that, yeah, that you got a lot to learn from Hannibal about your modern office environments. Like, what your uh, small shipping company needs? War elephants. <laughs> 
Well, uh, famously on Peep Show, uh, Mark writes a book, which I think fits very well into this camp. Yes, Business Secrets of the Pharaohs. <laughs> that seems to be mostly what this guy is yeah. about. And, mm-hmm. and he's a, a tenured professor at uh, he's Ivy a, League. Yeah, a full, pro, a full <laughs> professor. And uh, we went on his blog, and we, we found he's done like, you know, recent interviews to his book. And every single news article or interview he does, any crap that he's quoted in, has a headline like this. What CEOs can learn from Roman emperors? <laughs> and, you, I mean, all right, already that's just like, this, we're all going to die, and this is the worst way you can spend your time alive. But maybe I could think, maybe that could be erudite in some way. Like, that's theoretically possible, right? I you guess. know a lot. Uh, here's the kind of crap he says. Uh, here's an interview he did with Wharton. Uh, they asked, what is it about these leaders that still resonates today? Strauss. For one thing, they are founders. Mark Zuckerberg is really fascinated with Augustus because Augustus was a founder of something great, an empire that lasted for centuries. <laughs> they both did a thing, is the lesson. I, I just, I, I, I hope that at least one company has hired him as a consultant or something. Absolutely. And they're sitting around the table like, all right, what are we going to do to, you know, boost profits in the third quarter? And he just goes, may I suggest a hoplite failing? <laughs> <laughs> Here's another one. I searched his name on Twitter and I found some um, uh, rare Barry Strauss memes. <laughs> Here's one. It's, yeah. it's, it's, Play it's, boys, let's get those rare berries. It's, it's, it's the shit. It's like Facebook inspirational quote shit. That's like a stock photo of a statue of a man on a horse with some text overlaid. And here's the quote. It's, uh, Hannibal was both manager and leader, applying <laughs> cunning ingenuity and fortitude and master of strategic surprise. Barry Stroud from Masters of Command. <laughs> He did a thing. thing. I think he's trying to pivot to be like a Tony Robbins style figure, you know, and do like big, like high production talks to like, I don't know. I think think so. Gerber. It's just so crushingly boring. I don't know. I mean, he's got a point. I mean, Hannibal really did disrupt the hell out of the Italian peninsula for like five years. Another one is, uh, uh, why these 10 Kaisers explain Rome in the U.S.? My podcast interview with the Octavian Report. <laughs> if I hear a podcast with the name Octavian Report and their, their, their image is a, a, a Roman statue, 50% chance that's just a Nazi podcast. <laughs> I like to think this guy is accidentally going on Nazi podcasts yeah. called like Fist of Thermopylae. He's really interested in Western civilization. That's the thing is that apparently we scour this guy and he doesn't really do any of that Victor Davis Hanson winking towards the alt-right of like, oh, you know, we got to protect Western values. He just really likes all the swords. He just likes swords. <laughs> he has nothing to say about these books. Imagine like reading his book about, you know, uh, uh, the Battle of Salamis and it's just going to be, yeah, they had arrows, it was cool, <laughs> they had swords, and free great fight. Uh, he's, also, uh, he's also a fan of uh, a certain TV show, a TV program. Yeah, I was just getting to that. If uh, uh, The only thing that seems interesting about this guy's life. And he, the only novelty about him is he really loves Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, who does it? And Nobody if, loves Gambo. Come on. If you uh, go through his Twitter feed, that's like the only like you know non-military quirk that he has, non-classic thing. That's how he unwinds. Uh, here's some here's some recent posts by him. Was it just me, or did Sunday's Game of Thrones episode not have the feel of a classic WW2 movie? I was waiting for an entrance by Gregory Peck, David Niven, or Peter Lawford as Lord Lovat with his bagpipes. Here's another one. Before Dothraki or Wildlings, 
there were barbarians rising against Rome. (laughs) (laughs) So, I, uh... It's I'm, almost I'm, like they were inspired by them. In the <laughs> That's what they're fucking referencing. Uh, another one. In times like these, it's hard not to write satire. Juvenile or Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> uh, Tyrion Lannister does not write any satire. He does not write anything, to my knowledge. Not an author. Uh, it was gratifying to hear from uh, people who have taken his classes that it, it is an easy A, because like, for your final paper, we could write them for you right now. So, uh, here we go. Uh, a modern Cincinnatus. The Elon Musk story. <laughs> Just take one thing from the past and combine it with one thing for the present. Boom. Done. Is that what the final papers are like? Is that what he's looking for? Like, you, you, you do a quiz at the end, and it's, you know, match the um, fucking Game of Thrones character with the emperor <laughs> that they most represent? No, we were joking downstairs that uh, for someone's final project, they... Uh, they, they map out all of the 2020 Democratic uh, uh, contenders with their corresponding either figure in antiquity or Game of Thrones character. And then he sees it and like a single tear goes down and she's like, God, it's brilliant. <laughs> and, it's, then, and then he kills you and takes credit for your work. Like he's like, Sal- Salieri to your young Mozart. It's too good. It's too good. Eric Swalwell is Flavian. <laughs> he's just weeping going like, my God, he's connected Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings to the Battle of Teutonburg Forest. <laughs> there it is. There you have it, Professor Corrigan. <laughs> yeah, you guys all need to take a class. Definitely. ASAP. I want to take his class. Because I do want to know which Roman emperor I am. And presumably there's a test that he gives everyone at the beginning. It's, it's like, yeah. uh, you are such a Domitian. He is pitching Roman emperors as astrology for men. <laughs> I'm an, I am an int J uh, Valentinian. <laughs> I'm a triple Nero. <laughs> with uh, uh, Caligula rising. So yeah, please take a class with uh, Barry Strauss, no relation to Leo, which is weird because if you think it's like the right-wing classics professor with the last name Strauss, we yeah. were hoping it would be a you know, kid or grandkid or something. He's a spore. Well, like the Roman emperors, he took the name Strauss. <laughs> <laughs> it's honorific. Yeah, that's like... Kaiser. <laughs> uh, well, we have been in, uh, loving our time uh, so far on the uh, on the Cornell campus, and I gotta say, I gotta say, uh, very good. We yeah, we visited a, a number of colleges. Certainly not colleges or universities I would compare to you guys, or at least as based on something as superficial as being in some kind of league together with them. Um, but I gotta say, Cornell. It's campus. Yeah, it's real, really strong. Keep them gorgeous. They're very nice. Many vistas. Big on vistas. We saw one of the gorges today. Uh, but uh, also, there's just you know some of the some of the found art, found poetry. You might mm-hmm. even say. Yeah. Where you found some poetry? Yeah, this was on the women's room. <laughs> I assume put there by a woman, but I don't know. Your women. Good start already. You will probably walk down the street today and see other women who are prettier than you, smarter than you, more successful, in better shape, younger, faster, dressed better, and I'll tell you something. It's okay. (laughs) You aren't them. They aren't you. It's not a competition. Someone out there thinks the same things about you. They are your sisters. Your uniqueness is a gift. Embrace it and each other. Sincerely, another woman. 
No, keep applauding for that, please. What what if you just have to take a shit? Like (laughs) That's not doesn't make me feel good. That's basically a neg. I know. Also, I don't look around at women and analyze them and compare them to me and you're going to see women who are fast. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to see them fucking try. <laughs> That's the anxiety inducing. And also it ends with uh, someone out there thinks the same things about you. <laughs> so watch your back, bitch. <laughs> I feel the same thing when I see Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I, gotta say, I, I don't want to play too much into the, the, the bathroom sickos rhetoric, but I do not think poetry should be in the bathroom. I think it's rude. I think uh, poetry, keep it out of the bathroom. Bathroom stalls are for editorial cartoons. Right. Right. Poetry after I go to the bathroom is obscene. (laughs) All right, folks. Uh, No poetry after one of Matt's trips to the bathroom. Exactly. Am I right? Or Virgil's, for that matter. Um, So what do you say? Should we we get into our our Cornell University power rankings? Right. All right, let's do it. It's difficult. uh, Every time we've been uh, invited to a university... Uh, we started doing this thing um, at Harvard, boo, where we basically did like a, a sort of Final Four March Madness style tournament to determine uh, who is the most evil person that ever graduated from Harvard, and the competition was fierce. <laughs> Henry, uh, Henry Kissinger won, obviously, but you know, and we did, we've also done this for Princeton and Yale, I gotta say, you know, I mean, no knock on you. If anything, it's actually kind of a compliment. Uh, when I first went into this, I was just sort of like, ooh, secondary Ivy. I don't even see like any major war criminals. <laughs> there are war criminals. Yeah, I mean, there, no, yeah, there, I mean, they, there are yeah. some. There are a few. a few. Your bads okay. aren't as bad, and your goods aren't as good. <laughs> Everyone's ever. It's a little Game of Thronesy. Everyone's a little more neutral. Now the goods are very good, as you'll see, because. Cornell University, really the entire town of Ithaca, sit on a very powerful ley line. (laughs) And just good vibes emanate all around. That's what, for a while, I'd been trying to tell the others, like, no, 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 you've got to go to Ithaca, you've got to see Cornell, because that is the most beautiful Ivy campus, which I can now confirm. The only one I haven't seen is Dartmouth, which is probably pretty nice, but compared to, like, Princeton or Yale... I, they, they look like sewers compared to <laughs> And it's just, we're walking around, and I'm showing everyone, you know, the buildings and, and named after which, you know, evil men. Uh, and it's just, you can just smell it, right? It's just, there's a vastness to it. This is the only university that isn't a blot on its landscape. So, yeah, it's a, it was a, a little bit more difficult to do it for you guys, because, like, you know, you look up, like, most famous alumni... Harvard, Yale, Princeton, it's just a jaw-dropping parade of, you know, basically serial killers who still are walk among us free. And if you guys really keep at it, you might get one someday, too. But, the, I mean, the cool thing about... Believe about, in yourself. <laughs> Maybe you one of them is in this room right yeah. now. Look to Look your left. left. Look to your right. <laughs> one of you will be on this list in ten years. It's, yeah, it's, it's more of a, a boutique... Uh, monster, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. these are sort of like like the deep yeah. cuts, you know. Deep cut, deep cut but um, undergrounds of Warcraft. <laughs> uh, Virgil was telling us a little bit about the, uh, the the history of the school, and you said it was sort of like a 
19th century version of Silicon Valley that they wanted like the best farming More technology. Than that. It was like a, it's like a 19th century version of Peter Thiel Seastead. <laughs> it was uh, of course founded by Ezra Cornell, who was the telegraph uh, magnate in the middle of the 19th century. And the, uh, within like a decade of its founding, the original schools were the schools of arts and science. Uh, I believe a school of farming agriculture. And uh, I think a school of engineering. And, and uh, as an industrious, as, as a, a tech guy, uh, STEM lord, <laughs> STEM lord uh, Cornell, uh, Ezra Cornell, wanted the school to be, you know, very forward-looking. We want to be on the cutting edge. In the 19th century, the STEM was an actual STEM. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So for, for our, like, our sort of our bracket or our, our, our matchups, what we decided to do for, for you guys at Cornell in the spirit of, you know... Good vibes. Good vibes. And the fact that not everyone who graduated from here is like a blood-soaked monster. Uh, and, but also as a tribute to everyone's favorite film right now, uh, The Adventures, uh, Thandos, The Thandos Paradox. <laughs> I cried at the end. <laughs> we all saw it. I'm still crying. We all cried. We all wore diapers to the theater, so we would not miss a second of Thandos. <laughs> I pissed and shit myself, but it was all worth it to just like re- get to the end of the movie and be like, wow, Spider-Man really was dead. There's no more Marvel movies anymore. <laughs> you know, in some cultures, if you shit your pants during uh, the movie, it's a compliment. <laughs> so with this, uh, we, we, we basically created two separate teams of uh, evil Cornell alums and good Cornell alums. And we've decided to sort of, in, in the spirit of Thandos, sort of create a perfect balance. So like everything has its karmic opposite. Yeah. Yes. And we're going to sort of like keep the universe balanced perfectly between good and evil. And we're going to go through a list of the, the evil people will face off, evil Cornell alum will face off against their karmic opposite yeah. from the Cornell. As we said, uh, we were walking around the campus today, we heard a tour being given, and uh, the woman giving it said, once you're a Cornellian, you're always a Cornellian. Yeah. So... Which, Here's the key to the underground monster basement. <laughs> <laughs> so, why don't we begin with our first, I think, like, probably the most powerful matchup, probably the most evil person uh, to graduate from Cornell versus, hopefully, what you will agree is the best. And there are some, there's some controversial takes on this list. So let's start with, fight, Paul Wolfowitz. <laughs> Paul Wolfowitz is our first contender. We're going to get to who he fights in a second. But, uh, okay, Paul Wolfowitz. What, what can Rowan really say about Paul Wolfowitz? Well, Amy Klobuchar has been biting uh, a lot of his style. Uh, that he was the original innovator of uh, putting combs in your mouth after it's been in your hair. <laughs> but he was the sort of uh, capo regime of the uh, Bush administration and the uh, war on terror yeah. and Iraq. He was... Uh, Started out, hilariously enough, in the Pentagon Team B under the Reagan administration, which was the hilarious sort of uh, think tank within the Pentagon that was created by the early neoconservatives to find evidence or make up or just basically say, the fact, this is actually what Team B did. They said, the fact that the CIA and all of the American intelligence apparatus has found no evidence of a Russian doomsday device is a virtual mortal lock that there is one. Yeah. And we should assume that there is, and we should prepare, you know, for the event that Russia has a doomsday weapon or is about to blow up the moon or something like that. Uh, and then it was just like, just to ramp up defense spending. We could never have enough missiles, never have enough spending. We got to keep, keep it going. Then in the 90s, he was famous for the Wolfowitz Doctrine, which would be basically the, uh, the blueprint for preemption 
that they put to such good use during uh, the Bush administration. Yeah. And it, it's a good rule of thumb that if you have a doctor named after you, you are a monster. Yeah. Yeah. There's no good doctor. There's no chill doctor. There's no chill doctor. <laughs> There's no doctrine that's like, you know, just hang out with your friends. Yeah. Be loyal. That's not, yeah. That's a cool doctrine, but I have not yet seen anyone create one. So yeah, Wolfowitz, uh, sort of, yeah, one of the unsung heroes of the Iraq War and the War on Terrorism. Like I said, like a, a neocon godfather, probably the high-key most evil person to come out of Cornell. So we're going to pair him off with his karmic opposite. Fight! Kurt Vonnegut. Good man. Good Hoosier man. Good Hoosier man. Drew a lot of assholes. Yeah. Kurt Vonnegut beloved among all of American literature for being one of the only authors to show you what his asshole is. Yeah. yeah. In one of Isn't his... that really what all artists are trying to get at? <laughs> So, yeah, like, I, I can't think of anyone uh, who stands more as a testament to the opposite of everything Wolfowitz yeah. uh, stands for, someone who is, you know, a pacifist because of, based on his own horrible experiences in World War II, who stood for a kind of uh, a wounded, cynical, but also, like, a, a deep humanism in his writing. Actually, we were saying, like, what would be, a, would be somebody who would have a chill doctrine? The Vonnegut doctrine mm. literally was, like, just, God damn it, be kind. That was, like, from, I think, Slaughterhouse Five. That's a really chill doctrine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a way better doctrine. He was an editor of The Sun. <laughs> can't edit The Sun, idiot. <laughs> Not this writer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that's our first matchup. These are, these are two heavyweights here. So our next uh, evil contender is actually not one person, but a number of them who have been produced by this university. Fight the Coors family. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I know, you know, if you're like me, you've probably uh, enjoyed sipping upon a, you know, a Coors Light. Yeah, it's cold you... activated. <laughs> you probably enjoyed sipping on a Coors Light when all the other beer was gone or you were too fucking drunk to imagine drinking anything else other than just sort of, you know, wheat water. Yeah. But the Coors family, I think it's like, starting I think with Joseph and Adolf. Again, great name. If your name, if your name is Adolf, it's, you know... That strikes one and two <laughs> already, like as soon as you're born. Okay, the Coors family is actually, like through their money and all the institutions and like the, the philanthropic activities they've engaged in, Sicko stuff. basically have a finger in every like major act of evil in, Ameri- in the last 100 yeah, or 150 yeah. years of America. They have bankrolled like every, like if there is some like think tank whose like sole purpose is to uh, put uh, Joseph Mengele on the Supreme Court or just resurrect his ghost and put it into, like, a teenager's brain so he can live again. You can bet that the Coors family probably bankrolled it. Yep. This is a really funny fact that I learned about. They were also fanatically anti-union. And this is an amazing uh, fact that I learned today. Until 1986, prospective Coors employees were sometimes required to take lie detector tests answering questions about their sexual orientation communist leanings, and how often they change their underwear. <laughs> to be fair, that third one, I don't want my beer made by someone with dirty underwear. You can tell a lot about a person from how often they change their underwear. I think so. But thanks to the Cornell Industrial Labor Relations School, you may not ask that of any employee. It's rude. So keep up the good work. Joseph Kors, uh was affectionately called his own politics a little bit to the right of Attila the Hun, 
Wait a minute. So, uh, so uh, compound bows instead of composite bows? What the fuck does that even mean? Like, he didn't have an opinion on the capital gains tax. <laughs> I think he'd just like to say, like, if I had the opportunity, I would kill even more people than Attila the Hun. I, don't I think... mean, that really has to be it when they say that, right? Because he didn't make that up. That's an old right-wing thing. I'm all right. right. And the, the only thing he was known for was killing people. It's not like, yeah, he didn't have, like, a family values uh, platform. Uh, Joseph Kors gave uh, Paul Weyrich, who is, like, the sort of one of the, like, founders of movement oh, yeah. conservatism, like, way back in, like, the 1950s when they were yeah, yeah. total, total, like, also ran. Uh, they, he gave him the founding grant for the Heritage Foundation. And oh, again, like... God. Like, if there is a, again, like, a piece of legislation out there right now that says, oh, I, I don't know, they could, uh, you know, frack... Uh, your child, <laughs> your child's brain uh, for natural gas. Hey, hey, hey! Uh, look, there's valuable fluids in there. Okay, <laughs> we're trying to become energy independent. We're going to frack, but instead of using chemicals, we're going to pump into the water supply delicious Coors Light. <laughs> uh, basically, like every right wing, like the the big joke on Twitter. Uh, like, who funds the Federalist? Yeah, I almost guys. guarantee yeah. you it's the Coors family if you yeah. go deep enough. And, you know, we didn't... There's, there's a, like, the Coors family is a big one, but there's actually... Uh, I'm going to just add him into the Coors family. John Olin, as well, also went to Cornell, and he's another huge right-wing philanthropist who underwrites uh, the Federalist Society as well as the Heritage Foundation. And, like I said, if there's something evil going on in the world, chances are these guys' money have created the infrastructure that allows Ross Douthat to have a New York Times column. All of these fortunes, the Coors family, the Olins, the Cokes, you might imagine them as uh, stones, uh, perhaps, I don't know, an infinity gem of some kind. <laughs> when collected together on a single gauntlet would render one uh, to have absolute power. A library's named after the Olin family. <laughs> <laughs> This is also another one of the things they founded was uh, Paul Weyrich's Free Congress Foundation. And uh, this has been a hobby horse of ours. On the website for the Free Congress Foundation, it asks, will America return to the culture that made it great, our traditional Judeo-Christian Western culture? If not, the United States will become no less than a third world country. Let's ask Adolf Kors what he thought about that <laughs> Judeo part of Judeo-Christianity. And my, la uh, my last, uh, my favorite piece of uh, trivia about the, uh, the Coors family, I forget which one of them, I mean, they're all the same. In the 1980s, he donated an air a pers his own personal airplane, which was worth $65,000, to the Nicaraguan Contras. <laughs> so, I mean... You know, he just thought of himself as donating to the war effort. Like, he thought he was the second season of Downton Abbey. <laughs> Speaking of war crimes, in contravention of the Geneva Accords, they assassinated the Bud Knights. <laughs> I'm imagining an, ad, an Accords ad in the 80s. It's a bunch of, uh, a bunch of contras sitting in a, in a clearing in a field. One of them pops open a Coors light and a uh, medical clinic blows up right behind him. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like I said, like, like everything bad and evil. I guess with that Contra airplane, I mean, at least they brought a lot of cocaine into America. <laughs> Okay, so that is the cores, and also with an asterisk, the John Olin, yeah. just 
the dark huge, money monsters. Hugely, yeah. like, just people who's, like, just Croesus-like wealth have just underwritten, like, every awful, evil thing and person. Like, that's yeah. the thing. It's not just the institutions. It's the entire infrastructure that elevates utter mediocrity. Yeah. like, anyone who annoys you that you see either, like, on it Twitter or... It was just or, revealed that someone, and it's, no one knows who it is because it's all covered up through, like, uh, front companies. Someone has paid over $300,000 to promote Ben Shapiro's personal Facebook page. <laughs> By the way, we will be introducing a new $300,000 level to our Patreon. Okay, so like the, the just, just tied, just this black hole of, of, of money, like I said, underwriting every awful, evil thing. That's some profound evil. I don't know how you can balance that equation. Well, I'll tell you who. Versus Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> Did the news attend Cornell? I'll say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah the news. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the sun. <laughs> Huey Lewis absolutely attended Cornell. So, yeah, said, you majored in harmonica? <laughs> Which one of the buildings is a harmonica building? I couldn't tell. Where? You know? Power of Love, sometimes, or Bad is Bad. I want a new drug. They're a song about the Contras. <laughs> <laughs> Just, again, unspeakable, infinite bad vibes. You throw in some Huey Lewis. I mean, come on. Have you listened to sports recently? <laughs> it fucking rips. It's nothing but bangers. Once again, universe restored to its right or, rightful order. That's all things should be. Okay. Our next matchup features a, a real gem here. It's going to be... Bring her up. Ann Coulter. Ooh. I still refuse to believe she didn't go to Dartmouth. <laughs> like, did she clone herself and she got degrees at both places? It's just She's the most Dartmouth person in history. I don't get it. I still refuse to believe she wasn't uh, hatched fully formed from a bog. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of your uh, anti-Irish comments. For <laughs> uh, Ann Coulter is a... I, th- I think she's an interesting figure, especially now in 2019, because like during the... Uh, during the Bush years, right? Like, she was the oh, hot yeah. property. She, she was, triggered the libs before oh, anybody oh, knew what oh, that was. She triggered the libs, like, just, like, a megaton bomb going off yeah. in, like, the, you know, people who read the New York Times. And she called the New York Times shameless and the liberal media yeah. and suggested that uh, liberal journalists wanted al-Qaeda to win the war. That was, I mean, she, like I said, like, she was, like, you could get, she you know. She triggered the libs so bad that, like, Twitter didn't exist and people would just write tweets like on stall doors and stuff, not even knowing what they were doing, just like, someday this will make sense. And it's got to be under 280 characters for some reason. I don't know. But I think it's a, like, interesting Ann Coulter now is because like, it's, it's, it's sort of odd. Like, like, she's, where, like, where is her niche now? She's, she's, she's MySpace. Like, yeah, she exactly. just couldn't make it through. Yeah, no, she's an obsolete uh, operating system. She's still around, but it's like, you know, back then there was, there was one drug. You know, now there's mm-hmm. like there's like a hundred synthetic parts. Of it. <laughs> if you want to get mad at something, yeah, yeah, no, like, yeah, yeah like, she's like Mexican dirt weed from the seventies, mm-hmm. and like these people are like Chinese experiments. Hydroponics, drugs. yeah. Like you, you do a thimbleful of it, and you fucking experience instant ego death. Yeah, but that was that was you don't understand. That's all we had back then. Yeah, no, so yeah, it was, it was like some stepped on shit. Oh, I remember it. Like in the in the ninety percent baby in the two thousands, just the move on Howard Dean set. And she yeah. lived in fear of this woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she did, like I said, she did a marvelous job. I remember being furious at her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Culture, you got, you got owned. 
I got, yeah. But, I got you triggered. know, she walked so that Laura Loomer could run. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, she's, she's, like, living in a world where everyone is just a copycat. Yeah. There are all these mm-hmm. cloud sharks. Yeah, you know what now- it is? It's that Simpsons episode uh, when everyone just like Bart, and he loses his, you know, when he yeah, yeah, yeah. be like the boy, and he loses his niche, and he's like, I have no reason to live anymore. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, she, she tried to become relevant again because she was, like, uh, with... During the Republican primary, when there was the big, like, never Trump push by, you know, like, the sort of cultured, intelligent conservatives at the National Review and Weekly Standard, she was the one that just, like, all in, super MAGA, like, on board the yeah. Trump train. She was like, all the rest of them are conservatives. He's going to build the wall. She wrote a book. Her most recent book was called Adios America, and it was about how Donald Trump is our last chance to stop the, you know, browning of America. Yeah. Uh, but then, but now, she has now gone, like, a step further where she's just like Trump has cucked already yeah. he's never going to build the wall he's a fucking idiot and like she's like attacking Trump from the right yeah <laughs> and the thing is she was expecting people to follow her but and nobody she turned did. around and it was just her because they still love him and how could you not <laughs> who are you going to beat this person who's just this this person who's just been doing the same like uh, looks like know, one of those like Saluki dogs yeah <laughs> just the same like uh, snarky you know things for four, 30 years now like Meanwhile, you got Trump being like, I'm, I'm a baby. I'm a little boy. I've got a pinky. How are you not going to stick with him? By the way, you guys, did you guys see that today where you're talking about uh, Joe Biden getting in the race? And he goes, I'm, I'm like young. I'm, I'm, the youngest, I'm the youngest man there is. I'm young and vibrant. It was amazing. You sounded like a real I'm housewife. I'm a vibrant man. I'm like one of the most vibrant men. Of- <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I'm baby. <laughs> Joe Biden, he says he's baby. He's not. He's an old man. He's tired. Look, Biden, I bet, I bet he wears the pens. I wear huggies. <laughs> so how are you going to not pick him? Come on. Yeah. She was, it was, it was, she was doomed. Maybe she's Yang Gang now. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is the, that's the last stage for all of these people who kind of get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll end up in the Yang train. And Coulter's like... I just want that $1,000 check. <laughs> I want those either, bucks. Either it's going to be ro- royalties or it's going to be from yeah. Andrew Yang. I think she basically is neat at this point. Yeah. I don't think she has a job of any kind. That's the thing. Like, uh, sorry, no, I, I won't get who uh, frequently invited uh, her on his TV program because he's another Cornell alum that we're going to get to later. But Ann Coulter, very interesting figure in just in how just alone in the universe she is right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, she overplayed her, yeah, you yeah. know. Skeletal hands, and no, <laughs> there's there's no home for her. So how how are we going to balance out culture? Well, let's do it. Jane Lynch, uh, Jane another Lynch. leggy blonde, uh, another, another another tall blonde, yeah. but like uh, is like is the good version. The exact opposite vibe. Yeah, yeah. I just just hearing that name, Jane Lynch, just put all the negative and culture mm. vibes out of the room. And very much like a Cornell person, like because Ithaca as a city has a very kind of like confident, reassuring lesbian vibe. (laughs) It's like plaid everywhere. You just feel like really secure. And like when you see Jane Lynch, you think of a place like this where she could build you a deck and remember your birthday. (laughs) Willis Fair, New York. Yeah, it's like Portland, but without all the to-do. Yeah, yeah. Well, by the way, Amber, what was the name of the uh, the pornography store that you saw in, in, in Ithaca? Oh, I, 
Adult outlet. outlet. Yeah. By the way, even the porno shop is wholesome here. On the credit card, it says bookstore and gallery. Oh. <laughs> Ye old marital aid supplies depot. So Jane Lynch. Who doesn't love Jane Lynch? Yeah, she's so charming. Love... She really is like the anti-Coulter. Because yeah. everybody hates Ann Coulter. Like she used to have fans who loved her because she triggered the lips. Now there's nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's got nothing. Yeah. And it's just everyone everyone else is just a Laura Loomer, just yep. a mini me. These yep. minions just <laughs> stealing her clout. Yep. Everybody Showing themselves getting kicked out of Whole Foods <laughs> for throwing the hummus on the floor. <laughs> everybody loves Jane Lynch. Everybody hates Ann Coulter. Now we did Ann Coulter, I alluded to this briefly. This guy, our next contender on the Team Evil. <laughs> Cue that music! New rule. If you're going to go to Ithaca, make sure to get your dildos at the Adult Supply Academy. Unless you're a Republican. There's someone who's so smug that it turned into a speech impediment. <laughs> you can't even get around anymore. He's just dripping mouth. with contempt. It's like a palsy. Uh, Bill Maher, yeah, one of the most annoying shitheads on TV, <laughs> maybe ever. Um, first, a politically incorrect, and so yeah. uh, honestly, he lost his job at ABC for, uh, for you know his one actually politically incorrect take, which is that the 9/11 hijackers were brave to fly those planes. Yeah, into <laughs> more so than firing cruise missiles from yeah. miles away. Yeah. That's, direct That's point. scary, and that was accurate. And it was it, the one time he was right, and he lost his job. And then he was like, I'm never making that mistake again. The only other, like, I, like his thing is, like, uh, politically incorrect, real time. I'm keeping it real, like, uh, yeah, I said it. And, like, he, like in his monologue, sometimes, like, his audience will have tepid applause. Yeah. And he'll be like, oh, come on. Laugh. And it's just, like, they're not, they're not laughing because they're offended. They're just, like, it's not that yeah, good no, of a joke. Yeah, no, that's the thing, is that every time someone doesn't laugh, it's like, oh, snowflakes. <laughs> the only actually uh, dangerous or politically incorrect opinion Bill Maher continues to offer is um, vaccinations yeah. cause more diseases than they cure. Yes. <laughs> Bill Maher is a guy who thinks that like a subscription to High Times and like a Whole Foods uh, 10% discount membership card are basically all you need to uh, maintain a healthy health. Yes. Like you will be like, uh, there, you will not get sick from any diseases no. as long as you uh, smoke weed and uh, don't eat the stupid crap that dumb, normal Americans do. Yeah. He's, he considers himself a liberal because he thinks conservatives are stupid hicks. That's it. It's the only reason he considers himself a liberal. The other, and, uh, now that uh, he used to have Ann Coulter on his show all the time, that was, you'd have to watch, go to HBO. Watch two ugly people flirt <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> hey, I, I watch Morning Joe for that. I don't <laughs> I watched The View. (laughs) Real time would be the place you had to go if you wanted to see uh, Richard Belzer yell, you're a fascist party doll at Ann Coulter. But now you have to tune into Real Time because it's the only place you can see Barry Weiss other than every other media outlet. (laughs) Is she here right now? (laughs) No, she went to Columbia. Columbia Mm -hmm. girl. We'll we'll get get to Columbia eventually. Just like, yeah, Bill Maher is like, he's been coasting on the fact that like, again, like in that, Bush era, when Ann Coulter was, like, the biggest boogeyman, Bill Maher was, like, a brave hero, because he'd be like, George W. Bush, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Like, can he say yeah. that? 
called him a coward? He's not president. The thing is, he, but he, he said that thing about the 9-11 hijackers, but in reality, he was a huge booster of Bush's uh, militancy. Oh yeah. Well, he was against the Iraq War, but he was always on that like that that new atheist tip where he's like, "I'm not saying we don't need to kill uh, Muslims." Like the barbarians aren't at the gate, but they are barbarians. And yeah, no, he continues that now with his uh, like anti SJ Dub stuff, his anti vax stuff, um, and uh, also just very like Western civilization. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, but, like, it's, like, that for him, because it's not the Judeo-Christian part. It's, like, the just the, I don't know. What about Western culture do you think appeals likes, to Gomar? He likes the, the medieval uh, Western. He likes porn. <laughs> That's the part of the West that he likes. No, the part about the West that he likes is from the Middle Ages was applying leeches to cure uh, any disease. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, smug TV asshole way past his cell date. For some, He still has a show on HBO. Yeah. Uh, they already have John Oliver doing another. Sh- I mean, I don't get it. Bill Maher, two shows on one network. <laughs> American decadence. Okay, Bill Maher, you are going to be facing off against your karmic opposite and equal, Alan Funt. For those of you who don't know, the host and creator of Candid Camera. Yeah, listen to that. You guys don't know this guy. You guys ever laugh at a uh, wee man peeing on himself in a, in a, in a Target? On Dragass, you thank him. All of, all you, of you watched anyone get punked by uh, by Ashton Kutcher, you thank him. My my favorite thing is that this guy he got an Ivy League degree so that he could learn how to hide a camera in a potted plant and fart on someone. <laughs> it was much more wholesome than that, though. It's weird. No, when you got, look at actually, Jack- it was really pervy. After so so you can't. Or, uh, uh, the the original show, you know, hidden camera, like oh, what wacky, but he had horny. Uh, like too sexy for for television series of tapes that he would sell where women would like just go to a doctor's office and their just boobs would pop out. And that was the whole thing. And it was like, his idea was, what if you were laughing and masturbating? (laughs) That's actually the original picture of Real Time with Bill Maher. This is is the perfect balance, you know, a a TV asshole and a TV innovator and angel. Alan Fund, creator of Candid Camera. Okay, our next matchup, our next uh, contender in the evil category. I suspect this one might be a little controversial. Let's uh, let's go here. Yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That was during her Like a Prayer era. (laughs) Yeah, why is she just... Like a prayer that she survives the next two years. (laughs) RBG, uh, you know, controversial. She's a popular figure. Everyone loves her. I'm putting her in the evil category for uh, two reasons. One, and it may seem petty, I'm putting her there if for no other reason than spawning a cottage industry of fandom sur- about her. Mm. That, is, that is rather unbearable. She's epic bacon for Brooklyn feminists. <laughs> the notorious RBG. I mean, I'm, I'm sure... They're Ron Swanson. Oh, totally. I'm sure she would love the music of uh, the notorious yeah. big if... Uh, she were aware of it at all. Um, or she has no idea what's going on. no idea what's going on. I mean, she was right. Their weekends at Bernie's in her. Come on. She well, they better asleep. keep doing it. That's all I got to say. She, she fell, fell asleep, asleep during an argument. And I was like, oh, gee, don't wake up grandma. But it's like, oh, no, she's at work. 
And also, I'm putting her in there for uh, just not retiring when yeah. she had the Come chance. On, yeah. That was a bungle. Because, like, now, like, everybody, again, is, like, like literally praying, like, just last until 2020. Because, no, you know, everyone, that's everyone's biggest fear. And it's just like. You shouldn't even be able to drive at her age, much less be a Supreme Court justice. So, yeah, now because of this, like, stupid lifetime appointments, everyone's just literally like, please don't die. But it didn't have to be that way. And I think it was, uh, there's something, I'm sorry, yeah. something vain about sticking it out. It's true. You know, like when, like, when, like, because of our idiotic system of government, like, the rights of, like, everybody is literally dependent on this person just living long enough. It's a good system. I don't know what you're talking about. So, a system created when the lifetime appointments were for people who ate dinner five feet from a giant fucking sewage pile. <laughs> and then it was just like, for some reason, I'm really sick, and then I'm always dead. I wonder how that happened. Oh, well. If that doesn't convince you, later tonight, go on YouTube and just search Ruth Bader Ginsburg rap parody. And Ooh, yeah. just watch those videos for a solid hour. Okay, we're going to, let's see, let's see who her opponent is, though. Thelma Shoemaker. If you're not aware of who she is, you really should. She is a film editor who has done every Martin Scorsese movie. And if you believe, as I do that editing is really half of filmmaking, half of all of Martin Scorsese's movies are hers. So let's give it up for Thelma Shoemaker, an actual... Without her, all of your favorite movies would have two hours of Creedence Clearwater Revival in them. If it weren't for editors, they would have to film the movie all at once. (laughs) What percentage of filmmaking does the best boy do? One, okay. Okay, next matchup. Francis Fukuyama, Mr. End of History. Interestingly, though, unlike Wolfowitz, probably, like, the actual smartest guy from that neocon clique, like, the one who actually wasn't a totally insane wit. Probably the smartest guy, but still, he ran with a bad crowd for a while there. Again, you know, it's Cornell. It's, like, not so black and white. You know, it's sort of like, is he chaotic neutral? Just neutral evil, hard he, to say. He makes he makes benevolent decisions sometimes. I just uh, the one the one funny thing about uh, Francis Fukuyama, despite the fact that he's living through, like he's living through. You're so wrong. He was yeah, wrong. I know. <laughs> so wrong. The, the, was wrong. wrong. He's the wrongest man. How do you? Now he's got to live for another like thirty years. Going, oh, I was wrong. Yeah, that one thing that my my name is my whole thing. With. My whole thing that everyone was like, that's really smart, that's good, that's correct. It's just been spectacularly proven wrong. In, in, a, in, a, in a different reality, he was right, and, like, the 90s just continued forever. Oh, God. And, and he's that's... wearing, like, jinkos yeah. and doing devil sticks. <laughs> yeah. And he's listening to Limp Biscuit. He's really happy. He's got a visor on. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, I, Does I he did, just go around saying, yeah, hi, I'm Fran- Francis Fukuyama. Um, and, yeah, before you ask, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> History is, in fact, not ended. Uh, it's, oh, st- it's still going on. Uh, but here, here's my favorite uh, anecdote about um, Francis Fukuyama. Like I said, like, when you realize that maybe like, friends and people you've surrounded yourself with are kind of bad, mm-hmm. you had a moment like that where it says here, at the annual dinner of the American Enterprise Institute in uh, February 2004, Dick Cheney and Charles Krauthammer declared the beginning of a unipolar era under American hegemony. All of these people around me were cheering wildly, Fukuyama remembers. He, believes that the, he believed that the Iraq war had been, was being blundered. All of my friends had taken leave of reality. He has not spoken to Paul Wolfowitz, previously a good friend, since. 
So he actually had a "Are we the baddies?" moment at the yeah, American, yeah. Empire, American Enterprise Institute. Friendship ended with Paul Wolfowitz. <laughs> now Andrew Bocevich is my best friend. <laughs> All right, Francis Fukuyama, writer known for being wrong, versus writer known for being like kind of hard Elusive. to read. Ah, yes. This author, all of whose books I have both read and understand. We've all read them. We all know. We, no, we can't explain it to you. You got to read it. Got The Crying of Lot 69. Yeah. <laughs> gravity's, uh, gravity's, rain, gravity's Mind Blown. Uh, I've, yeah, we've, we've read all of his books. We've definitely all read Gravity's well Rainbow. Read. Understood it all. No problem much else to say about Pynchon, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's pretty intuitive. Yeah, the, the books are easy reading. You get the point pretty quickly. All right, next up. Keith Olbermann. Keith Look Olber- at this fucking picture. That is the most obnoxious image ever committed to so he's, he's removing the embroidery, not with a seam ripper, but with what appears to be a, hair of, a pair of hair-cutting scissors. Because he's not even punk enough to set a hat on fire. He's like, well, I'll just remove these stitches. Ooh, look at me. For those of you listening, he's, he's removing the stitching, the lettering on a Make America Great Again cap. Uh, to do what? Just to give, be like, oh, here's your hat back. You have a red hat. It, here's a nice red hat for you. But, I mean, like, uh, yeah, he'll he take uh, Make America Great, he'll remove the stitching from the hat. Then you just have a red hat, which is like, Again, if you're walking around with a red hat, people just assume that yeah. that's yeah. It's just become a, a or signifier. Or you're to look like Diddy Kong. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, MSNBC blowhard again, like a, a relic of, a, of the Bush era oh, totally. when like he was the like you know so MySpace. He's very yeah. MySpace. He he was like uh, he he was the the character who Aaron Sorkin based Jeff Newsroom on. Yes, it was like the newsroom was the adaptation of the Oberman report on MSNBC. Yep. He was the guy who just said, like, you know, Mr. Bush, uh, bad job in New Orleans. And everyone was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. And, like... and he said that, and then Bush was not reelected. <laughs> so He's another guy who, like, holds her way ahead of his time because he was the original sir, sir, sir. Oh, yeah, yeah. he was Eric Garland. Maybe. And now you hate him double because he's on the sad horse program. That doesn't help, that's for sure. <laughs> Everybody on that show's on my list. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah, he, he like culture, like, he pioneered a sort of, like, yeah, like, the have you no decency, a certain mm-hmm. style of yeah. speaking that has now become so, so imitated yeah. and so just, like, grating yeah. that... Feels like a passe form of theater. It doesn't even... Yeah. At some point, can't they just take the answer? Uh, oh, no, you don't have decency. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I remember, like, uh, he used to do, like, these, like, open letters at yeah. the end. Of, like, now, a special comment. And it would always be something like, yeah, like... You pusillanimous punk or whatever. <laughs> he, also, he also was uh, one of the guys who purportedly triggered the right. Because he would always... He pretended he was in a rivalry with Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly could not remember his name. No, not at all. But they were like... Oh, Bill O'Reilly would see him in the hall name. and call him Ken. Oh, but, but they would pretend like, oh, we really got under Bill O' the Clown. Bill O' the Clown, that's week. what we call him. That was epic. That doesn't even make sense. That's not even a pun. Living rent-free in your head, Bill O'. And it's just like, you know, who won that fight? Keith Olbermann? Whatever. 
Bill O'Reilly, he's living his best life right now, and uh, all alone talking into a laptop computer because he doesn't have a TV show in his cavernous, shame divorce mansion. <laughs> Complaining that millennials won't sit down at concerts. Strong. That's an actual thing. He, was, he went to a Fleetwood Mac show, and a bunch of millennials were standing up in front of him, Ooh. and he was like, this generation. <laughs> he wanted to see the Fleetwood Mac. He wanted to see the Fleetwood Mac. Oh, Bill has powerful divorce guy energy now. That is the most powerful divorce guy energy, where your former employer spends $20 million making sure you don't show up to work. <laughs> All right, uh, Bill, uh, Bill, Bill Oberman, uh, who's he going to face <laughs> off against? Jimmy Smits. Uh, Jimmy Smits. Delightful. A, a blessed figure, Bobby Simone from NYPD Blue. But we're putting him on the good side because he was featured in the only good Star Wars movies, the pre-SJW uh, prequels, and Rogue One. So before Star Wars uh, got taken over by the SJWs, you had uh, Jimmy Smith and the delightful original visions created by George Lucas in episodes one, two, and three. What was his character's name again? Bale Organa. Bale Organa, who was the adoptive father of Leia. Yep. So, good job, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he did it. Yep. All right, next up. Dr. Alan Keyes. Does anyone remember this no guy? No one remember. None of these fucking people yeah. remember him. Oh, wow. This, yes, is the guy, this is the guy whose body Barack Obama stepped over to become president because he was running in 2006 for the... For the Four. Um, 2004 for the Illinois Senate. He was originally running against, uh, what's his name, Ryan? Uh, yeah, Ryan. Jerry Ryan's husband. And uh, their divorce proceedings included that he took her to uh, sex clubs in Paris. And so he dropped out of the race. And they grabbed him out of... Nowhere, you just get steamrolled by Obama. Again, a quaint scandal. Yeah. <laughs> adorable. Adorable. Yeah, uh, Jerry Ryan, uh, that's seven of nine from Star Trek Voyager. Just like to, All these I'd like, people I'd like to that. add that to the record. Yeah. Uh, Alan Keyes was uh, briefly Ronald Reagan's ambassador to the UN. He's one of those guys who's not a medical doctor, but calls himself doctor, which yeah. oh, 100% of the time, you're, you're a bad person. Yeah. Uh, he so also yeah. ran for president a number of times. Ran for president a number and of my times. My favorite anecdote from that, as I think it was 96, uh, he went to a, a elementary school in New Hampshire, and he was talking to a room full of, I think, second or third graders, and he brought up the subject of abortion. And to explain as to you do. kids why it was wrong, he pointed at one of the kids and said, well, suppose I picked you up by your ankles and smashed your head against the wall. <laughs> Would that be wrong? He ran his 96 as the uh, anti-abortion guy, you yeah, know, yeah. an early anti-bathroom sicko. Guy. Yeah. Uh, in 2000, he jumped into a mosh pit at a Rage Against the Machine concert <laughs> while again running for president uh, in exchange for an endorsement from Michael Moore's prank show. <laughs> <laughs> the awful truth. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you said uh, he was the guy in 2004 who Obama, he was just put in there to be a tomato can to just get like steamrolled yeah. by Obama on his ascendancy to, you know, two-term president. Do you think he got over it? No, absolutely not. It's still stuck with, I, probably, I bet in like, his mind he thought he was going to win that and probably, it was stolen I mean, from him or something. Guilty, like, or, like I should have stopped him. Or he thinks that like Obama stole it or something. In November 14th, 2008, Keyes filed a lawsuit naming as defendants the California Secretary of State President-elect Barack Obama, Vice President-elect Joe Biden, and California's 55 Democratic electors, challenging Obama's eligibility for the U.S. presidency. The suit requested that Obama provide documentation that he is a natural-born citizen of the United States. 
Following the inauguration, Keyes alleged that President Obama had not been constitutionally inaugurated, refused to call him president, and called him a usurper and a radical communist. Usurper. Oh, my God. He got, like, 10th century on his ass. Refused to call the president president, but imagine, I bet he would flip the fuck out if his waiter didn't call him doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Keyes also claimed that President Obama's birth certificate had been forged and he was not qualified to be president. One other uh, thing that, uh, of note that I remembered about Alan Keyes is that he was also famous for uh, disowning his own daughter when she came out as gay. Yeah, that was not on. I know, but I think she's better off. <laughs> in October, uh, he says, um, in October 2007, Alan Keyes contradicted reports that he had disowned his daughter, stating that to do so would be wrong in the eyes of God. However, Keyes maintained that he did not give his approval to Marcel Keyes' homosexuality and contended that he must stand for the truth. Jesus Christ represents, even if it breaks his heart to do so. So, some tough love parenting from Alan Keyes. Still around, who's he going to face off with? It's Dr. Alan Keyes being balanced out in this eternal battle by Dr. Joyce Brothers. Another TV doctor who's an actual doctor. Yeah, she got famous for winning the $64,000 pyramid. And then every time they needed a psychiatrist for a TV show, she would just go. So she's she just was famous. It was, it was great. The first and only woman to win the $64,000 question or pyramid. Yeah. yeah. She also won a doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, how you got used it to out get of one of those machines. She was the original TV psychiatrist and also one of the innovators in like, the advice column format. So... You know me, I'm a huge Dear Prudy fan. I gotta give it up to the originators, Dr. Joyce Brothers. Much chiller than Alan Keyes. Way chiller, good vibes. All right, threaten ne- to murder a child. <laughs> next up, next battle. Bill Nye the science guy. Perfecting his soy face. Look, that's some that's some excellent soy face right there. And uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, the uh, woman he's taking that selfie with, you may remember as the uh, recent improv comedian and daughter of IMF banker and former uh, Venezuelan, Venezuelan coup leader, uh, Johanna, what's him, Guzman? Hausman. Hausman, Johanna Hausman. Yeah. He did the epic uh, funky video for the New York Times yeah. Opinion that was just like, I know you think it's like American interventions are like not cool, but what if it's like we get YOLO and just install Juan Guaido <laughs> as president of Venezuela? Uh, Regime change is on fleek. He said, so I, uh, I think the line in that video was, um, sometimes hands off means blood on your hands. Yeah. Think about that for a second. So no, she's actually, no, it doesn't even, if I don't touch it, it won't, right. He's struggling with it. You can't get yeah. blood on your hands. Yeah. That definition. She is Bill Nye's co-host on his current <laughs> Netflix show. Oh, and I'm putting Bill Nye on this list for just his, you know, obnoxious science He's fucking. Annoying. Yeah, shut up. We, we're ran <laughs> You got the point. <laughs> You got the fucking point. Uh, learn things. Oh, no, thanks. <laughs> he will be facing Dr. Henry Heimlich, <laughs> inventor of his famous maneuver. But then we look this guy up, and he has a fairly interesting history as well. He does. So the guy invented the Heimlich maneuver, and like, like the, the modest gentleman he is, he named it after himself. And then he went on a messianic quest to make everybody aware of it and be like, this is going to save hundreds of lives. Do this. And then he started, like, 
branching out, even after it got accepted as like a CPR best practice, he's like, you know, uh, if someone's uh, drowning, you can give them the Heimlich too. I'd be like, I don't think so. I mean, the water is not an ice. It's like, no, no, it'll work. It's like a pillow. So they're like, I don't know. Well, what about this study that says that? And it's like, you made this up. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, he was and like, he would just, he was like an evangelist for his own maneuver, you know? Your, like, your bads would, aren't as bad and your goods aren't as good. We addressed yeah. this earlier. He would like be eating with somebody and he'd be like, uh, you enjoy that maneuver that you can do to save people's lives? I invented that. Uh, but one of his sons actually it made it his mission to debunk his father's entire legacy. Oh, shit. <laughs> he has a website. Oh my gosh. That, that exists solely to describe, quote, his father's wide-ranging, unseen 50-year history of fraud. I want to know he this. He called him a spectacular con man and serial liar and said that the only thing my father ever invented was his own mythology. <gasps> yeah. He, he spilled some tea. Where is this movie? Yeah. And then he claimed that he actually, when he was like 93, he gave someone the Heimlich at his nursing home, uh, killing them in the process, of course. <laughs> Their bones were brittle as uh, twigs. Uh, yeah, like it's just, but I enjoy like a genial huckster, just like, I'm going to invent a thing, name it after myself, and then get everyone to do it. Wait, it's so like, what, uh, it's like the twist, the chubby checker. What do you do if someone's choking? <laughs> you no, know, all right, this is the funny and thing. And you don't want to kill them. No, this, this is the funny <laughs> thing. They deserve to live, you've decided. This is the funniest thing about it. So, what the Heimlich replaced was the, 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 the uh, existing like standards were pat, hard pats on the back. Like a baby. Or you try to get it out. You try to reach in and get it out. <laughs> no, seriously. I know it's gross. But... And, uh, and then he's like, you fools. You just do it like popping something out of a bottle. And for a long time, that was accepted. But recently, uh, like, you know, with all the years of research, the, the, the current standards, you know what you're supposed to do if someone's choking? Pat them on the back. Like, Wait just the minute. whole thing. Back to the backpack. Like, wrong turn that we only remember because the guy branded it after himself. Wait a minute. You know how every restaurant in New York has to have that poster on what to yeah. do if someone's choking? Mm-hmm. I vaguely remember that that just basically shows the Heimlich. Yeah, movie. they've all yeah. been there in 1975. Virgil, the answer to your question, what do you personally, Virgil, Texas, do if someone's choking and you want them to live? I just wouldn't get involved. <laughs> <laughs> No, just I just like you know, just maybe like just be like, I gotta go to the bathroom now. Hold on, it's like when someone uh, like like the check comes and then the one person always gets up to go to the bathroom. I yeah. explain the bill. Yeah. You do that just with someone's choking to death. No, I would I would probably do the Heimlich maneuver because I forgot the thing that Matt said. Hit <laughs> <laughs> um, him on the back. It's not hard. I don't know why not. I mean, people just probably work sometimes. Uh, are we gonna, I mean, I would try other stuff like I don't know, scaring them. Yeah, it's like the hiccups. Uh, like, look at look at the title of this fucker's book, Heimlich's maneuvers. My seventy year, seventy years of life saving innovation. Yeah, that's Dude, an insane. It's doing man. this. Settle the fuck down. Yeah. All right, all right, we gotta keep You're it. You're popping a feel. Henry Heimlich, very interesting character. Next matchup, Janet Reno, former Attorney General. Uh, I guess she's bad because of uh, killing all those people in Texas. Yeah, uh, the she's pretty Indians. bad. Yeah, you had to break a few. Eggs. We're gonna be a, be a quick one with this one. She's going to be balanced out by Catherine Hicks, who you may know as the mom from Seventh Heaven. What is that? What is that? It was a television show. It's a wholesome program. It was a WB sitcom that was like uh, an Until hour-long drama about a family. Yeah. Until Je- Jessica Biel got too hot. That was yeah. funny. Uh, yeah, it was Jessica Biel's first uh, big breakout okay. role. 
and like the, the, so it was sweet. about a it was about a family uh-huh. and the, the 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 patriarch was like a minister. It was about a minister's family and it was called Seventh Heaven and it was like a very kind of uh, touched by an angel crap. Yeah, it's sort of like wasn't there wasn't there wasn't any uh, supernatural. It was just like oh no, uh, little Bobby ate too much candy. It was really disgusting. Okay, so it was like a family friendly religious. Yeah, family. yeah. So, then why did you, why do you all know about this? I used to watch it. Why didn't you all watch it? You're none of you are the demographic. Jessica Biel. Well, I mean, I just you know, like so I could make fun of it, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, Seventh Heaven. Then it turned out the guy who played the dad, Stephen Collins, like I don't know, like molested his daughter or something. Yeah. So with this one, Catherine Hicks. What did she know, and when did she know up. it? Yeah, Maybe we should switch these out. Yeah. Because they're brand new videos. I'm not sure. I think they had some good ideas. They had some good, yeah, they had a few good ideas, but they had a lot of guns, too. Uh, so what were they doing? Uh, I don't know. It's legal. Yeah. What are you doing? It's legal. It's America. These might be two just true neutrals that balance as being by being neutral. All right, let's keep it going. This is an interesting one. Sandy Berger, but this is sort of a two-four. Both Sandy Berger and Stephen Hadley... That is, Bill Clinton and George W. Bush's national security advisors both went to Cornell. That's Sandy Berger. We put him on there because the hilarious story about him is that he got in trouble or was arrested for taking documents out of an official archive in his pants while he was writing his memoir. Yes, the national archive. So after uh, he left office, Bush came in, uh, he still had, you know, top secret access to these documents. But, you know, you have to to go there and read them. Uh, after 9-11, he was caught trying to take these documents out in his pants. And his, the stories he gave the police and prosecutors were, like, totally conflicting. He was like, oh, no, I was just I'm working on a book or just researching it. I'm baby. I'm just happy to see you. <laughs> they were out of toilet paper. But the right wing, uh, they came up with this theory that, oh, he's taking out the documents that prove that uh, Clinton's responsible for 9-11. Uh, he was also masturbating in the library. <laughs> so he got uh, his credentials revoked, his, his library card cut off, and a 50-cent fine. <laughs> and then Stephen Hadley, I mean, not much you can say about him other than he was I, George I, W. Bush's national security advisor. Yeah, that's... So I, I, that, do, I do have something interesting from him. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Here it is. During the Syrian chemical weapons crisis in September 2013... Hadley appeared on Bloomberg TV, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and also wrote an op-ed piece for the Washington Post in which he advocated attacking Syria with missiles. At the time, Hadley was a director at Raytheon and owned 11,000 shares of stock, but the news organizations failed to disclose this link. I recommend dropping some uh, reliable, powerful, potent, uh, incre- surprisingly affordable Raytheon uh, missiles onto Syria. Business I, is booming. I recommend dropping podcasts there and liberating some minds. <laughs> it, no, no bullshit though. Like people have, like, like idiots have suggested doing that with North Korea of just air dropping in like flash drives with you know podcasts and fun music. I from... think it's like flash drives <laughs> of the Bible, but more. Uh, put like I don't know Overwatch on there. <laughs> All right, the national security duo will be facing off against. You know who this guy is. No. This judge Douglas Ginsburg. I didn't know who the fuck he was until today either. He was a judge who was one of Reagan's appointees to the Supreme Court. He was nominated by Reagan uh, to fill uh, Lewis Powell's seat, who uh, after the uh, Robert Bork had been born. So you may be asking yourself, why is Chapo putting a Reagan Supreme Court uh, appointee or like a guy he wanted to be on the Supreme Court uh, on the good side of the equation? 
The answer is because he had to withdraw his nomination when it came out that he smoked marijuana once in his life. <laughs> so we are putting him on the good side because he's coughing off that Kush blount. <laughs> he's smonking loud. In a way, he's a fellow traveler. And this was reported by Nina Totenberg for NPR Narc Public Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Nina Totenberg also a Cornell alum, right? I don't know. Uh, how about Nina Tokingberg? <laughs> All right, uh, next up, next matchup. That is Edward Bernays. Does anyone know who he is? He made the sauce. <laughs> he, he, he made the sauce, but he was also Sigmund Freud's nephew. And the, basically the inventor of modern propaganda techniques used by advertising and corporations. Like, he was a guy who uh, was deeply involved in the effort to get, like, the media effort, the early use of mass media to create war propaganda to get America involved in World War I. And then another famous campaign, like he invented like advertising and propaganda, using the, like basically what Sigmund Freud, you know, teaches about our unconscious mind and desires and things like that. You you know those Sonic commercials with the two guys in the car talking about milkshakes or whatever? (laughs) Uh, He writes those. (laughs) Edward Bernays, a guy who, uh, yeah, like I said, created the like modern techniques of uh, suggestion and control used by psychiatrists and uh, Sonic. You wrote the Cars for Kids theme song. (laughs) (laughs) He's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. He's a really bad bad guy, guy. folks. That's 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 an earworm, that fucker. He will be facing off against Bob Moog of the Moog Synthesizer. (laughs) Again, this is like a... The, 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 what is good and evil about living in the uh, modernity, yeah. the modern yeah. world? It's like it's you're, cool. being, you're being manipulated constantly by uh, corporations and uh, surveillance using your own psychology and uh, the fact that you want to fuck. They're doing psychology. They're doing psychology mm-hmm. to you all the time. All the companies, the NSA, they know that you want to fuck your mom somewhere deep down inside, and they're using that to make you buy things. But then... Synthesizers. <laughs> along comes along awesome. a little chill bit vibes. of progress. So once, once again, chill vibes. Yeah. Okay, next matchup. Going quick here. E.B. White, author of Charlotte's Web. He's going in the evil category for uh, abusing children. Making me cry. Making kids cry. And writing a book uh, that's like, you know, the hero of the book is just gaslighting these poor farmers thinking a pig has some kind of intelligence so that they won't slaughter it and, I don't know, feed their family. E.B. White, Charlotte's Web. It's an ordinary pig. <laughs> he has no more right to live than any other farm animal. <laughs> Less much. Yeah. <laughs> the spider, on the other hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Charles Webb canceled. Bad book. Mm-hmm. He will be facing off against the good author and good book, Thorstein Vable. <laughs> Look at <laughs> that daddy. <laughs> Pimp. That is a strong pimp right there. Yeah. But Look at the, just the body language. It's so powerful. And it makes sense because he famously wrote Theory of the Leisure Class. Yeah. And he famously fucked. About just being cool. Yeah. An he invented chilling out. He invented chilling out. Yeah, chilling out and hanging out with Taking it easy, relaxing. Arguably yeah. the chillest of vibes, which balances out the childhood trauma of yeah. Charlotte's Web. Yeah. He, uh, he coined the term retail therapy, you know, when you just want to buy some shit and feel yeah, good. He's, he's all about self-care. Self-care, self-care. Uh, he also was an incredible horn dog. He had to leave two teaching positions at different schools for having sex with his colleagues' wives. 
thing actually happened. Uh, that's why I say more like Thurston Veblen. Honestly, he looks like a Bavarian ancestor of yours. Like, there's a resemblance there. I too am. Do uh, the pose. Do the I pose. Too, I too am a, a, a fan of chilling. Can you see it? Can you see it? That's how I. That's how I. Coincidentally, that's just how I get down. That is some, when I'm hanging with the homies. That is some leisure and some class. This is a class of leisure, baby. Okay, boys have leisure swag. <laughs> Stop saying leisure. Okay, our final matchup in the eternal battle between good and evil in the universe we live in is Eric Alterman, uh, the 100% most bitch-made columnist for the nation. He's the guy who... Uh, tough the, competition. Yeah, it, it is tough competition, but this is a funny anecdote about Eric Alterman. Eric Alterman is the reason the nation, uh, I think it was, um, it was the, 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 the editor-in-chief of the nation had to create an in-house rule that nation columnists couldn't make fun of other nation columnists solely because of what Alexander Coburn would do to him on a regular <laughs> basis. Is that you know, like he, he roasted him so hard they had to create like the Alterman rule at the nation that you just you have Stop to be being mean to our boy. <laughs> uh, he, I just I put him on the list because he like he's again total also ran but he just showed up again in the nation with the the liberal case against Bernie with a dangerous lunatic in the White House voting for Sanders is too big a risk. So whereas like you know Joe Biden that's money in the bank. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not much else to say about Eric Alterman. He's just very annoying. He's just a very, like, just milk toast, weepy lip, uh, like... And he clogged the toilet on the nation cruise, too. <laughs> <laughs> Was there something good from that article? We, we never went over that on the show. Uh, we didn't go... Uh, actually, uh, here's a good one. He said, this, this is the best highlight from the article. He goes, I held some of the same views myself as a young man, speaking about how Bernie used to be, like, more socialist and that he wanted to, like, nationalize many industries and have 100% income tax... <laughs> um, so he said Alterman says you're like you know comparing himself to like the, the younger cooler Bernie who was you know stealing electricity and <laughs> being evicted he goes here uh, Regan Bernie um, I held some of the same views myself as a young man but I am not running for president and if I ever thought I might I probably wouldn't have agreed to attend a rally in 1985 in Managua, Nicaragua, with a crowd chanting, here, there, everywhere, the Yankee will die. Go Red Sox. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't applaud that. Don't applaud that. Also, like, way to humble brag. Yeah. And also, I like this idea that, like, you know, if Bernie really wanted to be president, uh, he should have known in 1985 that one day he might consider running see, for president. I, too, was a radical 34 years ago. <laughs> that's the assumption, is that he should have been wanting to be president since he was a fetus, which only psychos do. Right, right. Only maniacs at that point want to be president. Like, he obviously, he was a fucking mayor of Burlington. He wasn't like, one day, I'm going to be president. <laughs> so uh, the crowd in Monago is chanting, the Yan- Yankee will die while Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega condemned my country's, quote, state terrorism. And then Alterman says, in parentheses, accurate as the term was. So what the fuck are you even complaining about? No, he's trying to brag. Yeah, this is very like, yeah, I I agreed with that. I didn't go to Nicaragua, but, you know, I could (laughs) have. No, it's like, I agreed with it, but it was still the wrong thing to do. It's like he was right for the wrong reason. It was right for me, because I'm never going to run for president. Exactly but if right. I did, I would totally win. 
No, yeah, it was wrong for Bernie because he should be like a, a Mayor Pete psycho who's been dreaming about the White House since he was in a fucking short pants, which he actually did have because he's 900 years old. So, and then he says, like, uh, you know, accurate as the term was, and he goes, I mentioned this appearance because, according to reporting by journalist Kurt Eichenwald, I'm going to stop you there, uh, Eric. <laughs> he says, a journalist, uh, Kurt Eichenwald, Republicans have had it and similar events on tape. Okay, Eric, let me stop you there. If Kurt Eichenwald is talking to you about tapes he's seen, <laughs> back, back away slowly. <laughs> Do, do not, under any circumstances, watch one of those tapes. No. Oh. Unless that's your thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, The Ring, only seven days later you go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. I was thinking about the hentai stuff. I forgot about the... Uh, yeah. Those, yeah. I forgot about yeah. Those. yeah. Woo. He is a fucking, la- <laughs> he is a fucking layered onion, is Kurt. I can't <laughs> so that's, that's Eric Alterman. He will be facing off against... Andy Bernard of The Office. All right, no, no, I'm sorry. Like the little button on this. I'm s- fuck that guy. <laughs> he is by far the worst character that show had. Not only most annoying as a character, but also the worst written character because he had like 15 different personalities over the course of the show. Worse than the British woman. Absolutely. Worse than the two young guys from yes. the season. Worse no, than everyone. Yes. Wrong. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Because the thing is, the, the general decline in quality of Andy's character mirrored the general decline in quality of the show. But, not, but no one else declined as rapidly and as dramatically as he did. And he was not even that good to begin with. Awful. Uh, by the way, uh, next month we'll be appearing at Columbia University. The Part two of the Texas Christman debate, is Andy from the office a good or bad character? <laughs> he sucks. Buy tickets for that soon. So there you have it, folks. That is the, that is the Cornell good versus evil, the eternal war for balance in the universe. However... There is one final contender who is in a category all of his own, beyond good and evil, the Nietzschean Ubermensch. See who it is. Our own Virgil Texas. For life. Looking what, what is this picture? Looking How are you very very your ass picture? in that picture? <laughs> very Zeppelin-esque there. How is there not someone pulling your underwear over your head? <laughs> this looks like like a like a pickup artist's website. Like this is the, like uh, the distinguished gentleman's uh, keynote tactics. Is like, uh, this is the fucking author picture in a blog called like the fucking intellectual gamer. <laughs> I'm sitting in a rocking chair. Yeah, it's very Thurston Woodland. Look, there's a hammock behind him. That's a lot of leisure. Holy yeah. shit. So I would like to make the case for Virgil, Texas, the new king of Cornell University, the new Carl Sagan. He should replace Carl Sagan as the yeah. public intellectual that is most associated with this wonderful Destroy institution. all those stupid little statue things you have. <laughs> Erase new ones in honor of your new god. Cosmos canceled. I should get to live in that weird Egyptian tomb that Sagan <laughs> Just knock on the door one day and say, yeah, I'm moving in. So, Virgil Sexus. I should get a TV show where I educate the stupid swine public. (laughs) Uh, My show, it would be also called Cosmos because I drink a cosmopolitan (laughs) every episode. And instead of, like, new space, I would teach you how to get high from stuff that you can find under your sink. (laughs) News you can use. (laughs) So the quasar is this. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> Fuck off. So, 
Cornell University International Labor Relations School. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. But before we go, as tribute to Virgil, Texas and Cornell, let's sing that damn song. Let's Vir sing the song we all know and love. Do you Virgil have the lyrics? We're uh, hearing no's from the room. Okay. Well, we, we have the lyrics here, so let's, let's just give it, give it a go, Virgil. Why don't you kick us off? All right. You start okay, us out. All right. All right. <clears throat> <clears throat> Far above Cuyahoga's waters, with its waves of blue, stands our noble alma glorious to view. Lift the chorus, speed it onward, loud her praises tell. Hail to thee, our alma mater. Hail, all hail, Cornell. Wait, wait, there's another verse. No, no. Cornell International Labor Relations School, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight.